Hello and welcome to Chatty AF, the anime feminist podcast and our retrospective of the 2006 anime Kashimashi Girl Meets Girl. My name is Vrai Kaiser. I'm the managing content editor at Anime Feminist. You can find my freelance work on Twitter at Writer Vrai, or you can find the podcast that I co-host about weird trash media at TrashPod. And with me today is Chiaki and our special guest, Samantha Ferreira. Hi, I'm Chiaki, one of the editors for AnaFem. Uh, you can find me at at Chiaki747 or at Animated Empress on Twitter. One's private, one's public. They're both funny, at least I think. Hi there, I'm Samantha Ferrer, Editor-in-Chief at Anime Herald and the Combat Review Review. Review. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Sam underscore Anime Herald. And Samantha, I had to have you on because you had a whole storm of feelings when it was announced that Discotech would be relicensing this particular project. Oh yes, this is one that was like really special to me because many years ago, as Babby Sam was still discovering herself, I found this series kind of tucked away in like the bargain bin. So this really kind of opened my eyes to a lot of things um, and cracked my proverbial eggshell, you could say. It also didn't help that this was at a time when I was going through this really big phase where I was trying to watch everything by Satoru Akahori, so it worked out so well in that really weird, strange way. <laughs> yeah, I feel like this was the egg series for a lot of people, like a just a whole generation of girls. It was also something in the air at the time. There were a lot of tentative gender play and cross-dressing type series going around at this time. As I mentioned, Kashimashi comes out in 2006. The K-drama adaptation of Hanakimi is 2007, which I think is the first time that anime fandom kind of became aware of K-drama as an art form. You also had... Uh, Princess Princess, which was literally the season after Kashimashi came out. You had Maria Holic in 2007. It was a whole thing at the time where we are playing around with gender presentation a lot, but at the end of the day, still reassuring you that don't worry, this person is going to go back to presenting as a, a cishet person, except for this one, which makes it a little bit interesting. So uh, quick production notes, because I think... This series has become a little bit obscure for younger viewers before we really dig into it. So Kashimashi, the anime, comes out in 2006. It is based on a shonen manga that ran from 2004 to 2007 by Akahori Satoru, who, relevant to Samantha's interests, worked on the Sakura Wars manga, as well as Saber Marionette J, the manga for Sorcerer Hunters, a bunch of other very 90s things. Literally everywhere. Everywhere. You could throw a rock and you'd hit something by him. Uh, you also mentioned the illustrator here, uh, Chiaki, if if you would like to nerd out a little bit about him. Uh, well, so the the manga itself was being illustrated by uh, Katsura Yukimaru. Um, she is the mangaka for Air, which ran around the same time, 2004-2006. And the character designs were by Inugami Sukune. Uh, who did one of my favorite um, weird, weird offbeat um, romance mangas, Aikagi, back in 2009. This is just me being like an obscure manga fan, so, but uh, I just like the touch. It's it's a very soft touch that um, Inugami has. And I guess if you've read Air, the, the, the theme or, or, or the feeling you get from the um, manga is very much 
the same, I think. And as you rightly point out, those are both women, which I think this is a very male-dominated cast on the anime side, so I think that contribution is important to note here. The director of the series uh, is not one that probably a lot of modern anime viewers are going to be familiar with, Nakanishi Nobuaki, whose biggest claim to fame is Koihimi Muso. Mainly, he did a lot of episode directing, like he worked on Cardcaptors, Sakura, a, a bun- and more individual contributions to bigger shows that people might know. Uh, the series composer, however, is our big name attached to the project, which is Hanada Juki. Uh, you at home may know him for the series composition of A Place Further Than the Universe, the series composition for Grand Belm, and the adaptive scripts for both Bloom Into You and Sound Euphonium. This was originally licensed by Media Blasters under their Anime Works label. The license fell out of print and in 2020 was rescued by Discotech, who notably assured viewers at home that it would come out with new subtitles, which was a pretty big deal because the old ones were, to my understanding, uh, not good. To say lightly. Ha, I think we will dig into that. And if if you were saying at home, I was this really that big a deal? When the manga was licensed by Seven Seas Entertainment in 2007, when they were a smaller company than they were now this was their number one selling manga so it's it was kind of a big deal 15 years ago which i suppose leads us into personal histories with the series samantha you mentioned watching it when you were a lot younger what about uh, you chiaki um so this would have been when i was in high school probably 2004 2006 definitely um senior year of high school for me there uh, and judging by the fact that I own the first four volumes of the manga and not the fifth, which came out in the fall of 2006, and I went to Japan summer, my summer year after uh, graduating high school. Uh, yeah, I, I was definitely reading it around then. Um, by then, I was pretty much out as trans, at least to my friends. And um, it was it was just trying to find everything and anything that had something to do with a guy turning into a girl. But um, it is a obsession that continues to this day, uh, as far as stories go for me. <laughs> yes, you uh, we will put it in the show notes, the article you did for us on TSF fiction, which the other one you have in the queue may or may not be out by the time this airs. If it is, it will also be in there. But uh, Kashimashi is, I guess, a little unique in that it is that premise of, oh gosh, uh, a seemingly cis boy was magically transformed into a cis girl. Gosh, that's just, wouldn't that be terrible? Mm. Guess I'll have to live with it. Uh, One thing I would like to note though, uh, you know, around the time uh, Kashimashi was coming out was also the time that Wandering Sun was also being serialized. Just just so, you know, we have a little bit more context in terms of what the environment was uh, in, in mm. terms of like trans representation and um, sort of gender bender stories that were available to mm. readers. Right. That would have been this would have been around the time that the elementary school arc of Wandering Sun was just starting to be published and was a really landmark big deal. In Japan, at least, yeah. I am actually a 
comparatively a newcomer to this series because I didn't get hold of the manga until a couple of years ago and I didn't e- wasn't even able to finish it because I was reading library copies and they no longer had all of it and it's well out of print unfortunately and this is my first brush with the anime it's it's an interesting watch I, I was watch- like I, I was watching a lot of the other things I mentioned up top at this time but I think because my experiences were different as a trans mask person, this was very much not a show made for me. Like, uh, I, I was much more Ranma oriented than the horror story of somebody being magically bodied into being a girl. That was that was not made to appeal to to my brain. To start out, though, how do uh, what are your feelings about Hazumu, especially compare how she compares to other protagonists at the time, other She's kind of related to, but distinct from various potato coon type heroines. Yeah, on a plus side, at least she has agency, you know. Mm-hmm. I think so. Um, like she feels like she's a character who is very shy, and so it it's you know she doesn't necessarily take as much uh, initiative or action in the series, but it feels like it's in in character with her. I think most of her character arc is the ability to not be able to decide what she wants in life, um, which is a which is a more general adolescent um, challenge, you know, that kids go through. So I think it it fits uh, who she is and is is unique to her. And you know, it's it's not just like oh, we're gonna have the plot happen to her. She is trying to navigate. And she is doing her gosh darn hardest. Right. Navigating her adolescence of how do I make decisions about things and how do I commit and realize that not committing isn't just, it's only saving my feelings and it might be hurting other people. Pretty relatable, but also she's dealing with the fact that she is now interfacing with society under socialized feminine expectations which the show spends a surprisingly subtle amount of time on i felt like that there wasn't as much you know because i felt society really quickly accepts her um mm. which is which is actually kind of also a nice um fantasy to live in where you know having society affirm that you're a girl when you used to be a boy uh, without being called weird. Like she had no choice. So therefore we have to take pity on her or at least, you know, respect her as who she is now, Uh, which is, I think um, it's not quite a trans. It's not quite the most ideal trans narrative, right? Like you, you want a, if you're trans, you want to just be respected as your chosen or you, your, your, your gender, right? Like you come out, right. and I'm a woman. You just respect me as one. Um, it, you know, it, it, it's more a feeling of pity from, from uh, society, but I think it's still um, very accepting overall and not, I, I didn't think it was necessarily too protracted hmm. by the people around her. Yeah. I, I have to agree there. Um, it was very much like, even if you listen to the secondary character dialogue, there was, there's like this very, there's the acceptance, which is always fantastic to see, but they seem to tinge it with like, well, it can't be helped. So here goes type of thing. 
Mm. Um, outside of that first episode or so, second episode where they were dealing with the paparazzi outside of her house. Yeah, they, they disappeared real quick. <laughs> oh yeah, they just vanished. Yeah, yeah. It's There's almost this kind of arc that I couldn't tell if it was the subtitles being inconsistent in their choices or if it's narrative decisions or a little bit of column A, a little column B, where as Tamari in particular sorts out her feelings about Hazumu, she, sh- she shifts towards using uh, she, her pronouns, like by the end of the series completely, where for probably the good solid ha- first half of the show, she keeps uh, referring to Hazumu with he, him pronouns. And Hazumu does use pronouns Boku throughout but she also pretty well accepts well I'm a girl now this is who I am and it's interesting to me yeah that that was a uh, actually very some a uh, very cool character arc I liked for Tamari because it kind of makes some issues I some things I saw with uh, my own family they struggled to accept my identity hmm. mm-hmm. yeah I think I think uh same here uh definitely I think also just a note here for um Hazumu referring to herself as Boku you know, there are people in Japan who are women who refer to themselves as boku, you know, bokuko. Um, not quite as prevalent, certainly, but, uh, mm. you know, just just somebody who is generally a little bit more masculine or, um, you know, isn't, I mean, given Hazumu, how how feminine she is, it's a, it's a little weird, but um, definitely there are uh, women who refer to themselves if they are see themselves a little bit more masculine than not. Hmm. Samantha, do you want to talk here a little bit about the Anime Works era subtitles? Um, yeah, the Anime Works subtitles were bad, to say lightly. Um, in particular, they like to misgender the ma- misgender Hazumu quite a bit um, when it wasn't warranted. Um, and... They tended to lean towards the positive, the masculine pronouns as opposed to the feminine when, despite what the uh, rest of the world around them were saying. So it was kind of messy, kind of very clumsy. In this day and age, it would be a yikes thing. But the mid-2000s when this came around, I think a lot of us were willing to kind of give it a pass because it actually came out at a time when this was like so hard to come by in stores. Yeah. Yeah, completely. I think uh, in another one of those illustrative of the era um, type anecdotes, around this same time in high school, I got really burned by reading the manga of After School Nightmare, which was ostensibly this uh, sort of dreamlike surreal manga about a main character who was quote unquote, uh, the his top half was male and his bottom half was female. So he's like a, a flat chested dude with a vulva but and that so much of that manga involved pushing this character down and having him threatened with sexual assaults because uh because of his sex characteristics and ultimately him choosing to be reborn into the world as a cis female and that's way more often what i ran into than this kind of well-meaning but clumsy effort which i think is part of what helped kashimashi be so special to people even now oh definitely i mean back then it was one of those things where i was like um 
there was no there was no like real malice behind it. It was mostly just um, at the time, just the U.S. in particular was still kind of grappling with. I mean, it was grappling with gay people, let alone um, uh, queer people, trans people. I mean, this was a point before uh, gay marriage was even legal. So to see mm-hmm. them actually try and make a good faith effort, I think a lot of us, a lot of people were willing to give them uh, that bit of slack. Yeah. The, meanwhile, all it is worth saying all the men in this series are trash. They're trash, oh. and I do hate them all. Oh yeah, they're all garbage. <laughs> yep. Why is Hazuma's dad a rapist? Why it's, is this a comedy bit? It's funny. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, sexual harassment. It's so great. Uh, Man, fuck that dude. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, I I don't know if I can curse, but that's just my visceral reaction. No, that's fair and reasonable. And it's it's so because this to I think the tone of this series overall is very wacky slapstick. Mm. But that's even in the context of the show, it's a weird, uncomfortable gag. It's it's like if the horrible teacher from Azumagadaya was supposed to be <laughs> relatable to the audience. I wouldn't call him relatable. I think he was just there to just be laughed at occasionally. Like, he is the horrible teacher from Azumagadaya, but he's given a little bit more empathy just because he's uh, her dad, I guess. Mm-hmm. But then guess. also... Her mom immediately just slaps the shit out of him. Yeah. Every time. She's always Every- there. I-, I love Hazumu's mom. She's the absolute best. She's so good. And maybe it, maybe part of the reason her, her dad being gross sticks out is because part of the nice fantasy is that her parents are so totally on board instantly and have bought her a whole new wardrobe. Yeah, mm. it's it lends that, degree, that air of seediness to some of it. You know, like, oh, dear God. Mm-hmm. I feel like they kind of wanted a girl from the very beginning. Mm. Kind of adding to, you know, Hazumu has always been a girl, or at least, you know, everyone thought, hey, it would have been, wouldn't it be great if Hazumu was a girl? Yeah, that is a subtext throughout of like, ah, this uh, Hazumu was always very feminine and, and wore feminine clothing. And one of those, well, we always knew this seems like it, it it's fitting that this has happened, which is part of that subtext as well. But also, meanwhile, then you have his best friend, Asuta, who I think escaped from Exchange, the uh, the, the TSF game that Jast published around this era, where he is the best friend who now that his best friend has boobs, he must obviously has a, have a crush on her. It has changed everything. Let, let me just... Let me just put it out there that that is a common fantasy for me, at least. Like, I was like, oh, you know, what if I turned into a girl and... Suddenly, all my dude friends like me. <laughs> um, fair enough. But I'm damaged. Don't worry. Uh, oh. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, the thing about Asta that really annoys me, and like the anime also has him be this. Oh, what if? What if we can date? What if? Uh, you know, Azumu is my new love interest. Um, like this continues. For like the entirety of the manga as well, and it's it's just as grating as long you know as well as his father, but like even more so because he has more screen time, right? 
Right. Maybe the reason I found it off-putting is there was a certain amount of sense to the character in terms of like, ah, teenagers have overactive imaginations when they've never dated. And so they look at everything through the lens of maybe this could be love. And I'm fine with that. But after he has his wonky failed confession scene and, you know, is like, oh, I've been shot down. Don't worry. I'm going to be your really good friend for life. And I'm like, oh, that's a really nice and healthy thing to have on. And then the fantasy sequences get about 50 times worse after that. I'm like, okay, I I, I take it all back. I am so glad that it got to that point where the entire rest of the cast like, yeah, just ignore him. He's fucking creepy. <laughs> you know, yeah, there is that there is that dude in your friend circle, isn't there? Occasionally. Yeah, no. I, I think we all if not not even not even always a dude sometimes, but like somebody and the dude version of it is often pushier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Our third male character who matters is our alien who has come to save his planet's declining birth rate. You know, I think you said he's the best guy out of the lot, right? He's the most well-adjusted, I guess. And he's literally a sociopath. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yeah. Because that's the plot of this show, secretly, is, is that aliens have come to observe humanity because they can no longer feel connection to one another. And so they're they're dying out. And so they are observing this girl and her romantic dalliances, this high school girl, which, okay, it's wacky. Sure is a 2000s anime. <laughs> like, I can't even, I can't even be that mad at it because uh, I remember Tsukisho, which also had an equally convoluted, barely sci-fi premise about that stupid. It does interest me that the reason these aliens stick around is because of Hazuma's crush, uh, Yasuna, who has a bullshit anime disease. If we were to loosely connect it to something in the real world, maybe we could call it visual agnosia, specifically face blindness, where from a young age, she can't distinguish men. They just look like vague blobs to her. So when Hazumu pre-transition confessed to her she got scared and ran away because she thought she wouldn't be able because because of her previous trauma but now she is pursuing uh current day azumu and hence conflict it's very silly mostly it interests me because of how her silly anime disease kind of skirts the line of characters in manga who who like girls because they have damage around men. The lesbian because trauma narrative. Mm-hmm. And the anime never quite goes there, but I was on the edge of my seat a little bit the whole time. It would have been shocking if it did go there, basically. The last episode or two, I was like, oh god. Oh god, Haz- she- she's worked through her issues is she going to end up with one of the random dudes who wanted to ask her out now? Uh, I feel like she stays kind of gay at the end, though. But, I mean, I'm not sure. Right. Right. Mm. Uh, honestly, I actually liked the ending of Yasuna's character arc, where after the series ends with her and Hazumu 
ostensibly getting together and then in the OVA four months later we find out she's she's broken up and wants to be on her own for a while which you don't see a lot of characters who are happily single and I was fine with that mm. yeah no that's it's a show of strength like there's a number of love triangle uh stories that end with you know the quote-unquote loser uh kind of swearing like oh i'm I, i'm gonna be strong now um you know i'm i i don't need i don't need anyone to support me i don't need love or you know i'm gonna support i'm gonna pursue my own love or i'm still gonna pine for you um i feel like with yasuna it's it's also just driven by her own character mm-hmm. that she's the one that initiated the breakup right mm-hmm. uh, i think which is a major um, difference compared to a lot of the other uh, third wheel situations that come up in manga and anime. Mm. Yeah, for sure. What are your guys' thoughts on the the middle stretch here? Uh, the Hazumus Polycule arc, as I like to call it. I wish he was more like uh, the biggest himbo wife guy, Naoya, from Girlfriend, Girlfriend. That I thought about girlfriend, girlfriend so much while I was watching this. Seriously, that's what I was thinking of when I was watching it. Too. I was like, "Oh my god, this would this this is better, girlfriend, girlfriend." This is exactly. The girlfriend, girlfriend. It's the girlfriend, girlfriend, girlfriend. <laughs> New name, better name. There we go. You know, you know what though? Um, I believe the, if I recall correctly, the um, kanji or kashimashi, which is uh, very loud or you know boisterous, is literally the kanji for a uh, woman written three times, <laughs> which is a little sexist because you know, hey, J- Japanese language weird, huh? Uh, but that's yeah. <laughs> no, but puns i was so torn once it started to get to the last arc because on the one hand i respect the arc that they set up with hazumu's character where she literally can't make a decision about anything including what she wants to order at a restaurant and how not choosing is a kind of selfishness even if you think you're doing it not to hurt anybody because that's very teenage but at the same time it was kind of a bummer that 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 also equaled you have to choose your one partner because i really liked the parts where it was the three of them being a v and working out this kind of slightly thorny friendship uh between tomari and yasuna i really liked those scenes actually and it seemed like they were able to share right like it's not Mm -hmm. like there was any kind of reason why they couldn't monopolize like they were they weren't necessarily monopolizing each other and they were very understanding that you know Hazumu is somebody to be shared mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah definitely and honestly it was I think they could have easily gone with that ending with the them three in a polycule and it would have been just as satisfying if not more so more satisfying and also groundbreaking exactly because yeah that just wasn't a thing in 2006 like in media yeah you hear that akahori satoru uh your your series got beaten by girlfriend girlfriend feel ashamed (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) 
you wouldn't even have to do away with the major point of conflict of feeling anxious about your partner being more intimate more quickly with their other partner before you. Cause like that's, that's real and full of emotions as like teenager adult, but it's, it's just the way they ended up executing. It was, it was two 2006. We could have had it all. We really could have. <laughs> what could have been? I spent a long time thinking that actually this, um, the series just, Straight up decided to 50-50 split um, where the where in the manga Hazumu ends up with uh, Tamari and in the anime she ends up with Yasuna, which is true, but also isn't true because then the, the OVA also has her end up with Tomari. But I am surprised there isn't more variety given that apparently this had just a ginormous franchise. Good lord. It was... The, the manga, a light novel, a visual novel, several radio dramas. Yeah, no, I feel like um, as far as this adaptation goes, the anime came out like around when volume three or four was coming out in Japan. And th that's the volume, right? So it's been running in Dengeki beforehand. Um, and of course, you have people who are making the anime plotting it out, talking with Akahori Satoru on what, you know, where the series is going. The anime series essentially condenses the first two volumes of the manga into one core of anime. So I feel like that's just kind of where the manga was at at the time. And they, they might have just thrown a dart going, okay, this is the ending. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it didn't go into the weirdness of the manga with the whole time time granules or anything like that, so... You have to explain that to me, because again, I didn't make it that far in the manga, and the Wikipedia was not cutting it. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, well, basically, um, I'm going by memory on this, by the way, so please don't hurt me if I'm a bit wrong on this, but basically as part of the reconstruction process of Hazumu's body after she got completely flattened and, you know, disintegrated by the alien ship, um, the process was not perfect, leading her to basically start, well, dying, basically. Um, her, her literal time was escaping in the form of time granules. And they had to find a way to prevent that from happening, or she would die within like a month or something of them discovering it. Thirty days. Yeah. All right. Because Satoru Akahori Satoru BS basically. Um, this is like one of the things that he likes to do to throw in conflict in his works. He contrives some really weird, really strange reason, and kind of works back from there. Uh, did you want me to sp like spoil the entire? series here yes okay um so like the very last thing the, the reason why hazumu chooses tomari at the end is that um they both it, it's like time granules right so it's like oh is 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 she going to die because of some kind of anime cancer no it's the fact that like fate literally conspires to kill her once she's out of time granules and so um, at the very end of the series, she, Hazumu, um, like, falls off the roof of the school. 
and um, is like, oh, this is how she's going to die. But then Tomari jumps with her to, like, try to save her. And they both miraculously survive. And the alien is like, oh, I see. Tomari shared her life granules with Hazumu. And now they are both bound to each other with their fate. And they're going to live to be old together. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a, that's Sinagahori's storyline. Yep. <laughs> okay. And that's that's you know, why... That's, I mean, yes, uh, yes, Hazumu also chooses Tomari because she loves her, but also that's kind of the big deal of, like, sealing. It's it, That's what seals the deal, I think. Mm. Uh, you know, all right. Uh, they do, uh, even the anime definitely leans hard toward Tomari in terms of the effort and emotionality and framing on their scenes together. There's some interesting subtext going on. I think uh, it feels a little bit uh, out of my lane to talk too much out about it, but there is definitely some subtext uh, in Yasuna's arc about disability and guilt and her concerns that Hazumu is in fact only staying with her because she feels obligated to her. And there's a lot of heavy stuff in there that the anime really doesn't get too much into, but she always kind of feels like the second choice because she's not the childhood friend. Also, honestly, the biking scene in the last episode is really good though. They're really sweet. Mm -hmm. Mm, It was. Can I just say something about how the anime ends pre OVA? Like, I feel like it was designed for Tomari to be the final choice that Hasumu makes. Mostly because the anime literally finishes with Yasuna implying the breakup. It, it doesn't go there. It just says, hey, Hasumu. And then, like, it freeze frames. And then the next thing you know, it goes to Hasumu and Tomari on the river, you know, riverside. And Hasumu goes like... Hey, Tomari! And then it freeze frames. It's like, okay, you know, like, what is that supposed to mean? If you haven't seen the OVA, it's like, what is that supposed to mean? That's not really an ending. It just kind of implies, like, everyone's happy. That's great, I guess. But then you find out in the OVA, like, yeah, uh, Hazumu got broken up with and, you know, confessed to Tomari afterwards. Right? Yeah, it's such a weird ending scene. I... I guess maybe they knew they were going to have the OVA because it only came out about six months after the series finished airing, it seems like. Mm -hmm. But wow, what a middle finger just imagining it on its own with nothing after that. Yeah, if you were watching this on the TV and you weren't going to buy the DVD, what are you going to get out of this? All right, that happened. That was a waste of 12 episodes, I guess. (laughs) <laughs> it will continue like this forever. Why did I spend all that time watching that? Um, That's what I feel about every anime I watch, though. To be no, fair, yeah. Fair. yeah. Do we want to talk about Ayuki at all? She feels kind of a prefigury of of uh, the, the best friend guy in Bloom Into You, the cheerleader character who is weirdly invested in other people's relationships. I actually liked her as a character. She was, um, I mean, she 
kind of knew what she wanted from the get-go, and she just seemed to really just enjoy her um, watching this entire thing unfold. Um, she really actually did strike me as someone who was um, ace with a degree of Aero, which before, again, before in a time before this was like commonly accepted. Hmm. Yeah, I definitely think that reading is extremely viable. Like, all the pieces, etc. Mm. I will say she is connected to that horrifying, hilarious CGI butterfly, which I had to stop the <laughs> anime for a good minute. Uh. <laughs> it is... Incredible. X-Arm took inspiration from this magnificent butterfly CG. I mean, okay, just just so we're clear, I think the um, animation quality of the butterfly was still probably better than X-Arm. No, it no, that's fair. That's an insult to Kashimashi that it did not deserve. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't it, though? That thing was horrifying. It was upsetting to look at the way it unfolds. I know CG was rough in 2006, but my God, why? There were not a... I know this was the era of Mohe Blobs and digital paint, but why? It was poetic. It was poetic. (laughs) (laughs) You know it's poetic because there's a lot of text on screen in that episode. This show is so of its era. I felt I had de-aged 15 years watching it. <laughs> but, I, but, yeah, she's a, she is a likable character. I think you're right, Samantha. It's, like, even if she is kind of there to be the plot winch, who fixes things when characters won't talk to each other. It is nice to have that kind of mature voice in the series to balance out the aggressively loud shenanigans. Yeah. Yeah. Although I had to, I do have to say this one. She took one look at that butterfly and said, no, no thanks, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> if that's what love is, I'm out, actually. <laughs> That's just an excuse at that point. To be fair, we oh. all said. To be fair, we all said the exact same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm suddenly very sad that none of the ace members of the team are on to confirm for us if that is what looking at the world of romance is like—an ugly, horrifying CGI butterfly you would like nothing to do with. Uh, yeah, let's. Well, we'll we'll have a quick uh, poll in the staff chat, I guess. <laughs> yes. Good. Although I, I guess it is important. I can't imagine showing this to other people. I genuinely had a good time watching Kashimashi, but I think it is because I was watching so many other shows like it. So I could put myself back in the mindset of being that age and the intended audience. I don't know if you could, if, if like a a 19 or a 20 year old would have a good time with this one yeah this is very much something that if you didn't watch at a younger age or you can't get into that mindset you know um it would definitely 
not really sit with you. I I definitely try to reread the um, manga um, for this podcast. And let me tell you, I got through the first volume. The second volume became a slog. I couldn't bring myself to open the third. And by the, by the fourth, I was just flipping through. Ooh. So, Ouch. I mean, I, I've changed. I've grown as a person. I haven't been in high school for 15 years. So, I mean, yeah, definitely. But uh, it's definitely something that I feel I've moved on from in a lot of ways. Yeah, fair. It's it's still a really interesting historical piece. I'm really glad that Discotech is preserving it because that is what they're single-handedly trying to do. Thank you, Discotech. Yes. It's especially nice to see them rescue a series that is not giant robots and shooty bangs. Like, as much as I enjoy those shows too, I, I feel like shows like this tend to fall through the cracks of licensing lost and just nobody thinks they're worth bringing back. So this is an interesting case in that respect. But the quadrants where I can think of recommending it to people, like if you are interested in the history of the evolution of, um, of representation, you know, I would recommend this in the same way I would recommend, say, the Earthian manga for queer rep, where there is this central kind of compelling happy love story, but also there's all this shit around it. <laughs> like, weird incest dad and the kind of cis-normative language, even though the subtitles are doing their damnedest. Uh, and... Maybe part of the issue is that Juki, uh, that is that uh, Hanada himself has gone on to do so many other really tender, compelling high schooler works as he's uh, evolved as a scriptwriter. So if you want more of this style of character interaction, which I think, honestly, there are some really good character scenes in the show, but mm -hmm. there's also other Hanada series where he's done that kind of thing. With 10 years more experience. I don't know. Tell me if, please tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> oh, you're not wrong there at all. I mean, this is one of those shows where it's very much a time capsule of what it was. It's a an encapsulation of an era, to be very honest. I mean, this is very much a 2006 series, um, a, a 2006 queer series, and it's... Uh, it's definitely not going to have the same impact now unless if you're coming back to it now or um, if you weren't in able to get into that mindset back then. Like this is something where we've seen great strides, not only in um in writing and characterization and presentation and representation, but I mean generally like you even said, uh Hananajuki has evolved immensely since this series. I mean and some of the variations of even some of the character sequences in this have appeared in other works. So it's one of those shows where unless you have some nostalgia attached, it's probably not going to hit the, probably not going to land the same way at all. Especially once you start getting into stuff like the truly troublesome, troubling stuff like, you know, trash dad. Cause mm. I mean, that's screaming red flag even today. 
well, even back then. And and also not that it was not that it's a uh, it it's a comparative to Trash Dad, but like let let us not forget thirty five year old teacher who's never had a boyfriend, and this is now her one goal in life. Seriously, uh, uh, Miss, who is like a crossover from a separate series as well, right? Monkey Nights. <laughs> I feel so bad for her. She just needs. Ha- she just deserves all the happiness. I'll be like, real. My favorite part of her of the OVA was her ending up with Alien Guy. Good for you, girl. <laughs> Seriously, you know, you know, in the manga, she doesn't get together with him. No, why? Uh, at the very end, it's um, it's Ayuki actually who goes like, "Hey, do you need a research assistant to observe humans? Like, I'm here to observe humans as well." And he's like, hmm, yes, you might be a good assistant. Okay. <laughs> She's gone to the planet of the Aeros. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. They All right. Even, in the manga, they even have an extra, like, um, side story for Namiko, where it's like, hey, uh, we can tell exactly when. Um, she's like, I will, it's like my turn for for love is still come is still yet to bloom it'll it'll be here soon i swear it'll be here soon <laughs> and then like the alien guy pulls up a mirror thing that like tells people w- what they'll look like at the at their sexual or like their their you know peak of attractiveness and it shows her as a high school girl and everyone's like oh 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 no <laughs> fuck <laughs> No, clearly what you should have done is taken her back to your planet where you need to, quote unquote, you know, fix your declining birth rate and she will fall in love with everyone. She'll she will heal the entire planet with her weirdly enthusiastic desire for romance. If we had a if we had a Namiko spin-off <laughs> anime right now, it would be the pinnacle of anime. Oh god, it would. <laughs> I like that we still call it Abenime, even though he's out of office. I mean, Suganime. I guess Suganime is actually easier to say, huh? Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Maybe that's for the best that they didn't, because that was the the whole implications there. Frankly, it's shocking how well the series doesn't do that, because like no one's like no one tells Ayuki that she's weird and should, in fact be trying to date somebody and also all the participants in the weird science alien love experiment all are actively seeking a romance so that's something mm-hmm. monkey's paw etc etc this sh- and and while i'm at it this anime should not probably be remade <laughs> oh god no but what if it was polly in the uh remake okay you got me right. i've changed my mind entirely that could work. Yes. Kashimashi remake, but only if it's Azuma Polycule ending. Done. Solved it. Good work, everyone. All right, let's get funding. Do either of you have anything we didn't cover that you'd like to talk about with the series? So I feel like I talked a lot today. I think that's about, that about covers it for me. 
Um, for me, yeah. I mean, all I can really say is I appreciate I appreciate some of the more subtle nods to the series. Um, hmm. uh, things like say, if you watch closely, um, particularly Hazumu's wardrobe, it slowly transitions from like more boyish clothes to more feminine presentation, and that kind of hit home for me because. Uh, transition's expensive as far as heck. I mean, um, clothes are expensive, so that really struck me as a, an interesting little realistic point more than anything. Hmm. Yeah, it's a great point because, like, even with the gags about her parents buying her a fancy wardrobe so they can take pictures of her, which is weird. Uh, for a, for the first half of the series, she feels really self-conscious and, and keeps wearing a lot of those more masculine cuts. And then mm. by the end of the series, she has cute sundresses, and mm. it's, it's nice. It really is. Yeah. I, thank you so much, by the way, for coming to and being the voice of nostalgia with us on this episode. Not at all. It was a lot of fun. So like I said, e- even if it's not one we recommend, I think by the end of this, it is a show that I wanted to take an episode to the podcast to celebrate. It, it just so people can remember it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us at home, Anna Fam. If you also watched this series and want to shout about it in the comments, we would love that. If you liked what you heard today, you can find more of the our work in your ears and on the page by going to animefeminist.com. And if you really liked what you heard, consider checking a dollar a month to our Patreon at patreon.com slash animefeminist. Every little bit really does help us to continue paying all of our contributors and our hardworking staff, including our uh, transcriptionist for these episodes. So we really appreciate you. You can also find us on social media. We are on Twitter at Anime Feminist. We are on Tumblr at Anime Feminist. And we are technically, I guess, on Facebook at Anime Fem. Thanks for joining us, Anna Fam. And remember, you can, in fact, have both cotton candies. <laughs>